What's up, locals? It's Mike and Kenzie coming to you live from the 775. Today, we have a very special guest with us, a trucky local, a savvy businessman, and our friend, Mr. Bradley Farmer. Oh, thank you, guys. Very happy to be here. Welcome. And uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. You look beautiful. Look like a normal. You look like Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm dressed semi appropriately for the season. Yep. yep. I may be a little, a uh, little behind. <laughs> now moved into the Christmas holiday, and I'm, I'm a little, little stuck on Turkey Day. But you look October festy. I like it. Yeah, right. It's cute. We're. I feel like I didn't have enough holidays. fun in October, so <laughs> <laughs> keeping it, keeping it going into November. It's a good look. In December. Um. So first thing that we do on this is called failing forward. Kenzie, do you want to elaborate on what failing forward is? Failing forward, and I explained a little bit to you already about what it is, but it's where we try to set a goal or try to accomplish something during the week that is out of our comfort zone to essentially push us. And <laughs> if you if you can hear that, that is Blackie and Maverick in the background. But it's trying to push us out of our comfort zone, and we just talk about our failings so that we can try and improve and get better. So with that, Mr. Michael. This week, I pussied out of an open mic. So I was oh. supposed to go do stand-up comedy for the first time. That was one of the goals that I set for myself. And instead, I spent the week trying to sharpen up two bits so that I feel confident going on stage next week. So that is my, uh, my failing forward. And I feel pretty good about it kind of stoked about that that i have two jokes that i think are funny but yeah i totally pussied out i didn't get enough sleep and you said as an excuse i was mm. like he was oh. supposed to do it on his birthday where and he were didn't you do supposed it. to do this so there's a bunch of open mics around here one's called comics and coffee it's like a comic book shop hmm. and then they have a couple other like shithole bars that host open mic comedy so i'll let you know the next time i'm doing it so what is uh it's just like you show up and Put your name on the list, yeah. and eventually you get called up, and you you go try do some to make time. Laugh. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you right. sign up thirty minutes before, and then you do your material. I don't know how much stage time you get. If it's anything more than three minutes, I'm kind of fucked. So, so is it just comedy, or is there other stuff? This happening? one's just comedy. They have like open mic music and whatnot, but um, I'm looking for open comedy. All right, all right. And are there? Actual comics that come out of these things, or is it just yeah? There's um the people who, the people who put it on. I would say they're all novices when it comes to like I've never heard of any of these people. Right. But they're Reno Reno local comics that are you know two three years in that are hosting and just trying to get it on the map. We went to one show a few weeks ago. Yeah, it was at Shanty Dolan's. Yeah, they do. Uh, Have you been to Shanty Dolan's? I don't think so. You guys keep bringing up all these different. <laughs> You've never been to Shanty Dolan's. Apparently, never been to. Well, Reno. yeah. When once you become a Reno local, we've done a lot of exploring mm-hmm. in places that we normally would pass by because we always would do the same shit right, when you we were here. Stuck on those same favorites when you're yeah. Not from, when yep. you're not spending as much time in the area. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we have just been exploring new places and shanty dolan's is actually right down the street on keystone Hmm. and it's just this little irish pub you'd have no reason to go in there unless you were going to do stand-up all right yeah (laughs) that's you walk in you're like oh they're putting on a show in here okay um (laughs) takes like 10 minutes and there's like two people behind the bar to get a drink okay Um, but you know what it was cool it was a good spot so you've developed a couple of bits what what was your process in developing those bits? Uh, a lot of writing of things that I think are funny and then testing them out on her and bombing horrifically. 
Okay. Um, okay. And so when I try and be funny to Kenzie, she'll just yell out bomb sometimes if it's not good. <laughs> okay. But okay. Um, a lot of that, a lot of refining it, and then finally hammering it out where it sounds like a constructed idea that I can eloquently say and still be silly about it. Because it goes from public speaking to trying to be funny. And it's a so weird... So where do you draw your inspiration or subject matter from? Like, what's the... Well... What's the draw? It's a great question because I'm 27. I don't have a whole lot of life experience to pull from and go yeah, like... you got enough. Look you at know. how much yeah, wisdom I, I have. Say. You do some funny things. Occasionally. <laughs> um, I don't know. A lot of it is just day-to-day. And then occasionally, like... I'm trying to think of the most recent one. A lot of it pulls from family life because my family's a little ridiculous. And mm-hmm. they do silly shit. And so it's fun to make fun of it. Yep. Um, family is an easy... Easy, easy target. Down, it's an so. easy target for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm going to do it next week and not pussy out. So that will be my success story of failing forward. All right. Well, yeah. I can't I wait uh, to see you bomb. Thanks. I would love to see this too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll let you know. Do you want to come? Up. I would love to participate actually. Like, really? Yes. Really? Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to go do it on Tuesday next week? Uh, let's, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. All right. I'm, I'm interested. All right. Yeah. All right. That's really exciting. Do yeah. you have bits that you have tried to work on or uh i don't know you know i've always thought that maybe i'm just crazy well i am, <laughs> I am crazy, but i've always thought that i could be completely wrong but i've always thought that i could just get up there and improv and be funny and <laughs> there are people who naturally just have do that. it i think you have yeah. i think when you riff and also when you get upset and just start kind of going on a little rant yeah. That gets the people I could going. be completely wrong. I could get up there and just be an absolute bomb disaster. But there's something in the back of my head that says that I could just get up there and... and well, it's something inside of you. Well, let's run it. Let's do it. I don't know. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Kenzie, would you like to go up? I feel like I could I could do some funny bits, but I, I would need to come prepared. Yeah. Because I have stage fright where I just completely freeze. And I know that that would be me on stage if I didn't come prepared with a bit. Like, I could not improv at all. Well, if you show up with one elf ear fully on and one half on, you will be funny. Wait, is it one? <laughs> no! You're already doing great. These are, like, keeping the heat inside of me. Oh, no, I'm roasting. Like, I this feel, jacket is, like... I whew. feel very hot right now. <laughs> I might be losing the jacket soon, folks. Sorry about that. Hey, no, my I'm ears might be coming off. Um... <laughs> What was your failing forward, Kenzie? Well, the season started for us, the snowboarding season, and we recently went to Mount Rose, um, which, yeah, it it was our first time skiing at Mount Rose, and I like that mountain a lot. Just went and bought tickets, or? We have season passes. passes. Yeah. Mount Rose, look at you guys. I know, Reno locals. We're here. (laughs) Well, Palisades is doing that whole parking thing. Right. Like where you have to, yeah. So and it's just too far. And then North Star. Wait, hold on. What's the parking thing? I haven't been following that. You have to pay and reserve your spot now. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's that's whack. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I don't know. Do you have more well, <laughs> information? I haven't closely followed it. I mean, I tend to try to stay away on weekends and holidays. Yeah. That's when they're trying to implement it. It's it's interesting. I don't know if it's. Look, something has to be done about the traffic, mm-hmm. and I think there's some attempt to improve the traffic problems mm-hmm. along the, the corridors. 
up there. Yeah. I feel like it also seems like a bit of a money grab because I was going to say you're paying to basically still be in traffic for the spot. Um, a lot of people are not going to, I mean, people are just unaware these days of, of basically everything. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are going to show up having no idea this is going on and they're writing $80 tickets. Yeah. So between the charging for the reservations and all the tickets they're going to write. Oh, it's a total a money of, grab. That's a lot of, yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel like it's already too far from us. And like with our schedule, weekends are really the days that we're only going to be able to go unless we can randomly go during a work or if I get <coughs> sick. Yeah, or if we get <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we get sick. With that uh one, <laughs> one day virus. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> the twenty four hour flu. No, if I if sometimes I take a sick day. It just happens to be three days. Yeah. <laughs> if I take a sick day, my boss immediately gives me shit for it. Where it's like, Oh, are you uh you're gonna be riding at squaw today? It's like, No, no, I'm actually sick. I wish I was. <laughs> He's like, Well, I'll see you on a lift if you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He likes to do that. Yeah. But, yeah. Would you would you fail at? So every year I try to get better at park <laughs> and I Ooh. seem to just not progress <laughs> because I I don't know how to properly bail off of a feature if I'm not doing well. And so I think for me, I get in my head of, oh, I'm going to break my wrist or oh, I'm going to break my leg and I don't want to be out of commission. Like that's not worth it to me. Like I want to be able to know how to properly bail and every time I try to go up to a feature, I swerve. Like mm. I just, I go up to it and I, you have a last and I go around it. Panic? Yeah. And I know that, and like, obviously I'm very beginner at park, but I just, I want to progress. So it's like, how, how do you get better if you don't try? But I also feel like I don't really have a teacher. So anyway, my fail is that I keep swerving <laughs> from the feature. So is this Jib Kinsey or Jump Kinsey? Wait, is this what, Kenzie? Jib or jump? Are you going on a feature or are you taking gravity by the balls? Um, grab them. Are we talking rails here or are we talking jumps? Oh, we're talking rails. Okay. Yeah. So they didn't have any jumps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was able to go off of like a, a box type thing, but <laughs> the rail. Black dogs. <laughs> they matter. Um, don't it's you have, don't you have a brother who could teach you a little something about? But it's when I go on my own. Oh, okay. Like I just seem to not have you don't the courage. Have a teacher, so it's like, hmm. Well, well, I guess that's yeah. I guess that's <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> but I I feel like it's like I want to have the courage on my own to do it too. Of course, of course. But how do you get that little thing in your head that's like panic? Like how do you fear how gene. do you get how do we get over the fear gene? Yeah, because I feel like you, like you've been around it so much. I feel like you would know how to fight that little yeah, demon in your you head. Know, I think it's. Uh, I would say for for professional athletes, in my experience, it's something that they start out with at such a young age that they just don't have that fear gene. Yeah, and then sometimes athletes actually have a problem if they get in- injured, they have like a major injury or something. Right, kind of like that fear gene kind of kicks in yeah. and they have to like overcome that mm-hmm. in addition to healing. They have to overcome that like fear of getting hurt again. Yeah. Mm. So I think, mm. you know, as we get older in life, I think it's a little bit harder because you've, you haven't built that in from a really young age. So you have to kind of just convince you yourself just... and keep getting better and keep building that confidence and kind of just keep failing. slowly working into it yeah, and kind of fill your way until you, until you nail it, till you get the feeling, and then once you get the feeling of it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, oh, that wasn't that hard. I just and sometimes in snowboarding <clears throat> in particular, it's just committing. Yeah. You know, committing to that act of whatever it is, whether you're jumping or jibbing or whatever. And then once you land it and you get the feeling of like, okay, mm-hmm. that's what it's supposed to feel like. Then you're like, oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. And I've definitely had that feeling before. I think it's just, it's just the fear. I don't know. It just say it takes over inside of me. And then I just go off that like little jump that's right <laughs> next lift. to it. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, I'm still hitting something. <laughs> go for a tiny grab. Yeah. Ooh. Tiny, tiny, tiny jump, tiny grab. But. Yeah, so that's my fail. So that's something I definitely want to work on this season is knowing also like just how to bail so that I have more confidence going into it. Because I'm okay failing. I just don't want to break anything. Right. You know, like even in CrossFit, because I was thinking about like in CrossFit, I know how to bail out of a lift. So I feel more comfortable going up in weight on certain things. But I realize I'm like, well, with snowboarding, I have no idea. Like I'm just, I'm just flying. You just need more reps. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And speed. More speed. Speed. Yeah. (laughs) Coming in. I definitely. I come in very slow. (laughs) And it's Uh, because I'm so hesitant. But. Yeah. Well, Bradley, do you have anything that you um, tried or failed at this week? Uh, let me think about that. I mean, definitely. I feel like I fail at things every week. Really. Yeah. It's how you get better. Yeah. I mean, we're all just kind of learning our way through life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Constantly things that... I think this week... So one thing that I've really been focused on for the last several months of my life is um, not sweating the small stuff. Like, really trying to not let... A lot of little negative things happen throughout every day. Mm -hmm. It's just part of life. It's part of running a business it's Mm -hmm. part of just it happens to all of us um i definitely have a temper um so i can have you do oh yeah i have a temper (laughs) you're so even keel (laughs) like you're i feel like you're a master chiller i am until i'm not (laughs) that seems to be a commonality once i hit a certain point it's like yeah it's not really always good do you have an alter ego when you snap I do. Scotty Snaps. Actually. Yeah. Oh. Scotty Snaps. <laughs> Scotty Snaps. Scotty Snaps Denver is the full name. But um but yeah, so I've really been focused on when bad things happen, like taking a breath, taking a step back, kind of letting it simmer and not reacting quickly. You mm-hmm. know, like taking that minute to like not overreact, not letting the temper flare. And uh this week, that was a little bit of a struggle for me. I had a few mm. different situations where it was like, you know, like I was kind of immediately getting frustrated and it kind of took me a couple extra like um, minutes to kind of pull myself back and like not not go fully into that kind of frustration or, or rage or temper or upset, kind of whatever it is. So when you're in that, like what do you do in that moment to calm yourself down? Or do you have any coping mechanisms or? Um, I think it's just recognizing that it's happening before I get to that point where I'm pushing anger or pushing frustration and and um, just kind of the realization like maybe this isn't a big deal. Mm. You know, maybe if I give this a little bit of time, it's not as big a deal as it seems like or this actually isn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it seems like a big deal because it's pissing me off right now, but it's not actually, 
you know, a big deal. Yeah. I think that's, um, it's been a big effort for me because I think when you're building a business and you have to do so many different things kind of at once, there's so many different opportunities for failure mm-hmm. or frustration or whatever is kind of leading to that mm-hmm. or other people's failures that affect you. I think when you're running a business too, you also are responsible for others. And so the failure feels bigger than it actually is occasionally. Yeah. Because other people count on you. And it's like, uh, it can be a time suck too and an energy suck, right? You're like, you're all of a sudden dealing with this situation and it can occupy your mind and your energy and your time when you have all these other things to do. Mm -hmm. So if you let yourself get pulled into that, it can really screw up the flow of your whole day or everything else that you have to get done that day. So rather than just moving on and like letting go of it, kind of putting it aside maybe or recognizing that it's not a big deal right away or whatever it is, not letting that one thing sort of take over your whole day. Mm -hmm. I would say that's something I had to, had to work on. Still are. And yeah, I definitely am still working on it because I and the type of person where if something annoys me or if I get mad at something, it takes over my whole body and I can't get it out of my head. Yeah. Like it just affects my mood for the rest of the day. And anything that we're doing or anything that I'm doing, it's, it just overpowers everything else. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like I can't focus on anything else. And what a shame, right? Because at least in my experience, a majority of the time, it turns out that it wasn't that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you just wasted all this time and energy on something that quite frankly wasn't worth it. Yeah. So it's the art of just letting it go. Yeah. The, just the whole don't sweat the small stuff, I think plays into that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Trying to find that calm center, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The Japanese, I've been listening to this audio book called comfort crisis by Michael Easter. And he goes into this concept of Masogi. It's a Japanese concept where basically Japanese, I don't know what group of people practice it, but it's cold water ritual cleansing. And cold so, water ritual cleansing. So picture doing a cold plunge and it's that, you know, three minutes of just pure, right? And trying to let that tension out and then you deal with the suck and you get out and you feel great because you did something that was uncomfortable. And the idea behind it is pushing your limits and forcing you to confront fears and doubts and weaknesses. Um, and so the guy that I'm listening to on this audiobook, he basically sets out with these grandiose, like potential to fail missions. And he does it once or twice a year. And success is not guaranteed. That's part of like the, the rule of Masogi is that you can't guarantee success and you can't die. Those are the two rules and it will push you out of your comfort zone. Mm. So he'll embark on that and he said that like the quality of life has gone up significantly because he's so comfortable most of the time that the little stuff that's when you start to sweat it um like banging on the door (laughs) 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 but yeah i just i've been like hyper fixating it uh on it this week just because it's so interesting to me and uh yeah it's kind of cool pushes growth growth is important well, we can wrap up this segment. <laughs> okay. So, cheers. Yeah. Thanks for sharing your failing forward. Bink. Bink. Cheers.
We are tuning you in to our Your Favorite News Report. I'm coming to you live from Reno. This is a big deal. It happened last week. Um, the FCC has passed new internet regulations that grant the feds power to regulate what internet services consumers are allowed to purchase, as well as contract renewal terms, service termination, and service suspension. So we didn't get to vote on that. Um, the Biden administration basically pushed, it's called GN docket number 2269. And under the report and order and further notice of proposed rulemaking, they got to completely go around the legislative rules and empower the FCC to basically find people indefinitely if they're found mispracticing and misusing the internet, which is... Seems rather vague. It's very vague, and it's mm -hmm. guised under the idea of, like, preventing discrimination on the internet. <laughs> uh, but there was, in the findings and in the initial investigation of how they were trying to justify it, they didn't find any evidence of people being discriminated against using the internet. There was nobody who was, like, gatekeeping, like, oh, Brad... You're not allowed to use it. Like it was, it was pretty stupid. Um, Is this an executive order type thing? Kind of. Um, it was a previous order. Let me take a look at where it comes from because it comes from an original. Let's take a look. This is from Section Six Zero Five Zero Six of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of Twenty Twenty One, and so they. So this was written into the. It is infrastructure bill. It's part of the infrastructure bill. And then there is basically a little back door where the feds could come in and say, hey, FCC, you have the power to tell us that we can now regulate the Internet. And what I see that turning into and it getting really creepy is like, let's say you say something that's deemed hateful or discriminatory online against a specific group. They could turn your Internet service off just outright. No more Internet for you whether it's your phone, your home Wi-Fi, whatever it is. That's concerning. It's gatekeeping the internet through the eyes of the federal government. I don't think they should have that power. And that's also coming out of an administration that, you know, suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story. They suppressed a lot of information where you're looking at Biden and like just his family being super corrupt. And I don't see an administration like that using it as a tool for good. And if you get somebody even worse, I don't see them using it as a tool for good. It only seems negative to the public. It's giving the government more power, and I'm anti. So that is our news update from Mike for our nation's news. That passed on November 15th. It's a big deal. Yeah, I think it's interesting how we seem to be willing to just allow the government to continue to take <clears throat> more and more power under the guise of like, oh, well you know, we, we won't even use this. Mm -hmm. you know, we won't misuse this. Or, or, you know, like, it's like, it's like the Patriot Act, for example. It's like, oh, this is to protect everybody. It's never going to get misused. Well, you don't know who's going to be in power. Yeah. You don't know who's going to come along that might decide, oh, now we can get away with misusing this. Mm -hmm. and, and that's then, how it seems to be, too. It's how can we use this within our, within our rule set and not break the rules and just tell you you never had that right in the first place. Like, that's the creepy part from the Patriot Act is that it completely, like, erased your memory of what going through TSA was pre-9-11. Like, some age groups have no idea that you could actually buy somebody a plane ticket, hand it to them, and they could get on a plane for you. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, I just think the more and more that, I mean, I'm a, I'm very libertarian. I mean, I, I think the government should just get the hell out of most things, but... 
you know, why, regardless of the party affiliation or whatever it is, why we think it's a good idea to continue to give up more and more of our liberties and rights to government control is just insanity. And usually it's in the name of safety, but it sounds like this particular thing well, there, I, was just sort of snuck into a bill that had nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's trying to prevent discrimination, but who's being discriminated against? Well, I mean, like... You, Lay down. Like, <laughs> what, are you, come up what are you here? just going to cancel? <laughs> you know, you're just going to cancel freedom of speech so that no one ever gets discriminated against? I mean, it's... It's kind of how it's going. It's, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> it's ludicrous. It's insane. This is our other special guest, Maverick. Yeah, what's up, Mav? Hi. Hi. Yeah, thanks Hi. for joining us. <laughs> Oh, licks, yeah. I didn't think you were getting kisses on this podcast, but here we are. Oh, yeah. All right, that's enough. I, but didn't you say when they were writing it in, it's mainly for, like, landlords and... So right now, the way that it's being interpreted by the courts is that it extends to landlords, construction companies, rental companies, property managers. So if you're found... <laughs> okay, chill. <laughs> chill. Let me give you some space, man. <laughs> Clearly, you need more space, Maverick. Yeah. Um, it's basically being interpreted so that anybody who is responsible for distributing internet to renters or homeowners can be found liable and fined indefinitely. So if you own a property, you're a property manager, you're renting to somebody, and for some reason the Wi-Fi goes out and you don't happen to, you know, immediately rectify it, or maybe your tenant's being kind of an asshole and maybe you're playing slow ball and you are discriminating, they can fine you $50,000 per instance for one of two things. Um, one is a punishing action. The other is omission, so not acting. And the problem with how vague that is is that there's no right way to comply. Mm. Um, if it takes too long for you to get internet to somebody, uh, you can be fined fifty grand Indefinitely, they just keep doing that. It's like, oh, it's been a month. We're going to hit it with you again. So it's it's really creepy, and it's kind of a bizarre thing to think of, like, how is this enforceable, too? Not just how is it enforceable, but where does it stop? I feel like it extends, it's going to go into consumers. Like, it's already regulated well, it's their way of, by yeah. online. Well, yeah, I mean, their once you start regulating. precedent, even if it's a limited precedent, you know, then the next thing you know is, is, is it's, like, opened up to everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's... Okay, like you said, you know... We don't like something that you said on your podcast, mm-hmm. for example. Exactly. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're just going to mm-hmm. go ahead and shut your internet off. That would suck. Or fine you. Or fine you. Or both. <laughs> that would really suck. Or to jail. Go to jail. Yeah, to jail. <laughs> um, it seems super dystopian, and it kind of reminds me of a surveillance state. I feel like what's going on in Canada, how they're publishing, publishing, they're punishing free speech. Oh, what is going on in Canada? Dude. There's a lot of shit going on in Canada. They we... took away guns. You can't say anything online that doesn't agree with their main agenda. And, and they it's... just did something uh, in particular with podcasts where it's regulated by their version of the FCC now? Yep. Yeah, their Canadian version of the FCC. Uh, they have some weird finicky rule where it's like... insane because if you think about it, the FCC was created to, to protect public broadcasting, mm-hmm. not private... I would call it private broadcasting, right? Yeah, yeah. No it's pirate radio, basically. This isn't just available to anyone. Like you have to seek this out and want it to get to yeah. get this. It's not just being broadcast yeah. across airwaves that anybody can pick up with an antenna. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand how they can regulate that, but there's a lot of people that are getting either fined, 
put into jail. Um, we were watching, what was it yesterday? Lady Ballers? Yeah. Have you heard of Lady Ballers? <laughs> I have not heard of Lady Ballers, but it sounds interesting. It's um. It's unfortunate <laughs> because, uh, so it's from the Daily Wire, which is Ben Shapiro's media group. It's conservative media. And they made like a comedy. But the problem with conservatives, they don't hit comedy very well. No. Like it sucks because they have <laughs> funny material. And they had like three laugh out loud moments over an hour and a half movie. The rest of it was like, mm, not really hitting. But it's about this basketball team that's washed up. They're a bunch of guys. They have no competitive future. And they decide, oh, if we transition to women, but we don't have to cut our dicks off, then we can compete and go to the top. So they start getting oh. brand sponsorships and they start dominating women's basketball. Um, and they just kind of play it out from there. It's really funny. Uh, the, the concept. The is concept funny. is really funny, which is why we wanted to watch it. Yeah. But then as we were watching it, it was like, it just wasn't hitting where I thought it should. Mm-hmm. They, there were really only like three yeah, why actual aren't jokes. Conservatives funny? Can we talk about this for a second? It's a good <laughs> question. I feel like there's a stick up the ass when it comes to like conservatism. You have to be proper. You can't. Because I think there is this, um, like I, like faith, or I guess, uh, what am I trying to say? Like religion aspect to it, where they still have to be a little bit proper. So I feel like their comedic level isn't as raunchy. Like they can't be that raunchy, hmm. comparatively to liberals. So you don't want to offend God, I guess. I feel like that's kind of the, the push because, like, what else are you worried about offending? Your your base is already, you know, following you. They care about it. But I picture, like, who's a good example? Who's a good old Republican that, like, has been on TV forever? Bill O'Reilly? Like, saying something funny for Bill O'Reilly is not going to land very well. He doesn't seem like he has a good sense of humor. There's just a lot of conservative pundits. I would agree with that. I don't know a whole lot about... Bill O'Reilly, but doesn't seem like a good hang. Doesn't seem like a funny, <laughs> funny guy. Doesn't seem like a big sense of humor there. Yeah, no. and I, I don't understand that. Do you have any, any idea why conservative media just isn't that funny? I mean, I can't say that I've really noticed that in my, in my just daily life, but it's absolutely true on, um, when it comes to comedy in general. I mean, I think one of the, one of the difficulties I have with some comedy today, especially comedy on, um, on, uh, trying to hold my hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, comedy on TV or, um, it's all very liberal mm-hmm. to the point where it's very agenda ridden, mm-hmm. riddled, you know, it's like, it's funny, but at the same time, there's just this whole underlying agenda with it. Like it's so obvious. It, yeah. Which makes it really <laughs> Not funny. Not funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's well-written, it's good jokes, it's it's funny, but it's so full of agenda mm-hmm. and talking points and just all of it that it's just like, like I heard, um, what was the one, like I don't really, I used to watch The Daily Show sometimes when Jon Stewart was on it because I thought, I think in general Jon Stewart's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I think it was just on social media. I saw one and they were going, they were making fun of JFK, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., who's running for president. And RFK? It, RFK, sorry. I got you. Yeah, that's what I meant. RFK. 
One of those Kennedy boys. Anyway, it was very, it was, they were making fun of him, but at the same time, it was like all of the talking points that both parties are using to try to destroy him because they're both, mm-hmm. I think they're both afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Or at least the establishment parties are afraid of him. And so it was, fu- it was supposed to be funny and it was supposed to be comedy, but it was like the exact talking points that both parties are using to attack him. So it's like, mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. We're trying. We're gonna pretend like this is comedy and funny, but really we're just continuing to press this agenda against. It's, it's propaganda. It's yeah. just pushing an so idea. It's like, it's unfortunate because I think that you know comedy is incredibly important in society, especially today, because yeah. you know we're dealing with such. There's there's so many negative things out there. There's so much. There's this dynamic of liberal versus conservative and divided country and all of this. And I think comedy has to play a really important role in in overcoming that and bringing people together. So when the comedy becomes part of that, mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly unfortunate. It is, and I think that good comedy misdirects you. When you have something that's so narrative written, um, you know where it's going. And so laughter for me, what I really enjoy when I'm laughing at something, it's involuntary because I've been duped, right? You've got me going right, and then suddenly you hit me with a left. And when you have an idea of what the narrative and the argument is, you kind of see where it's going. And like maybe they have a good punch at the end, but it's like, eh, you didn't surprise me there. It's an element of surprise for involuntary laughter. Yeah. Otherwise, just kind of stroking that little chuckle bone where it's like, hmm, <laughs> next. It's like, yeah. late, it's like late night TV. I don't really watch any of those shows. Um, I feel like that's anymore. for pilled out America. But it used to be, <laughs> um, it's just become so, it's just garbage now. Yeah. But it used to be, like I, I recently saw an interview with Johnny Carson. I don't know if you guys remember who Johnny Carson yeah. is. You know who Johnny Carson is, but he was like the original kind of, king of late night and he was a hundred percent against anything political really he didn't do it mm-hmm. none and i saw a really interesting interview with him yeah. where he was talking about it and he was like that's not what i'm here for yeah mm. i'm not here to tell people how to think or to set agendas or i mean i'm paraphrasing here these weren't yeah. exact words but um he he would not play in the political arena at all well, he's showcasing talent. That was kind of his yeah, totally. his show. That, that was his thing, was comedy and and performances and music and everything. And it, w- it was about entertaining people and and providing, um, you know, just good comedy in it. And it wasn't one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The more I don't know you... if I ever answered the question of why conservatives aren't funny, but... Well, there's, there is a line with comedy where if you isolate half of your audience that's not good right how could that possibly be good (laughs) like you immediately start out with i think democrats are retarded and it's like (laughs) okay all right you lost half the room now what unless you have a really good point to back that up like it's not going anywhere like i think it has to be something so good where it's okay to make fun of yourself like you can fall under that category and be like oh man like they got me like that is me yeah but it can't be so harsh where you're offended and your feelings are actually hurt. It has to be, I feel like very clever and well-written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've got to be able to make fun of ourselves. Right? Yeah. Well, self-deprecation is 
magic because it gives other people the sense of superiority and you can build an audience up and then you can say something that they're a part of now like you're talking about and you go oh you got me i'm part of that too damn it takes that away yeah i don't know maybe that conservative nature just leads to people taking themselves too seriously and doesn't lend itself well to to humor Mm -hmm. but i think there is probably a religious aspect to it i think there's probably just a a serious nature of the subjects mm-hmm. that you know I think even serious subjects we need to be able to make fun of you know what I mean like you can't just yeah I don't know I, th- I just think the comedy everything's on the table everything should it be should be on the table, be on the and, table. And, and uh and we have to be able to make fun of each other and ourselves and everything mm-hmm. because there's just so much that's so ridiculous. There well, is. I'm glad you think so because you're actually on Roasting Brad. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> this is the show. <laughs> You've been <Okay>. trapped. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a roast of each other. That would be fun. <laughs> that would be fun. Would be fun. Um, there was something else comedy related, but it's slipping my mind, so it's not that important. If it comes back to me, I'll let you know. All right. All right. Shall we transition into yeah. turning you on? Yes. Where we turn, not you on, we turn the listeners on to some of our favorite people. Bradley. Sheesh. Sheesh. (laughs) So we we basically switch on and off um, depending on the episode of Locals Hotline where we have listeners ask us questions. But if we have a guest, it's turning you on to our favorite people. And the listeners can ask you questions. And us. We're also asking you questions. (laughs) So we... Well, I love me some questions. (laughs) So we have a couple to start with. Um, One is from LLV. LLV. We we don't like to say names around here. (laughs) But I'm going to start off with her question. Who is your favorite business partner? (laughs) (laughs) Checkmate. (laughs) Wow. Wow. <laughs> Don't on put blast. me on the spot, LLV. <laughs> um, it, it's, a, it's a tie. It's <laughs> a good way to I'm answer gonna, it. I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. There you go. That's a, that's a very politically wise way to handle that. You should have said Harley. <laughs> um, I have a, a deeper question for you, something that I'm really interested in. Tell me about Marketing Farmer. Ah, marketing farmer. All right. Well, I uh, had a a career of working with ski resorts, working in media. I worked in um, as an editor for a group of snowboard magazines for a while. I also worked with some brands, and I always wanted to start my own business and not just work directly for you know one company or another and um in 2008 the group of snowboard magazines that I was working with um this was right when the financial crisis hit 2008 and um the media the kind of print media world started to kind of fall apart at the same time so this 
amazing career that I had established in in media and working in snowboard media basically came to a screeching halt um, mm. where the parent company was called Future Publishing just started closing down magazines and closing down media outlets because they were just sucking wind and tanking and unfortunately we were we got put on the chopping block so I found myself in the middle of the financial crisis with no job and um, kind of had to make a decision of what I was going to do. I started interviewing for a lot of different jobs, um, some of which I had multiple interviews. And what kind of kept happening was the jobs would get eliminated mm. before they filled them. That seems to be happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> the, the economy was really, I mean, you, I don't know if you guys where you guys were at in your lives at that point, but it was really in a free fall and looked looked pretty dire at the time. So It was pretty bad for yeah. my family at that time. Yeah, so getting a, getting a job at that time was, you know, not very realistic. So I decided, ah, there's no time like the present to start, just start my own business mm -hmm. and go for it. So I decided rather than going to work for somebody, I was going to take on kind of that consulting business role and um my first client actually was bear mountain and snow summit who i had worked with actually my first job out of college was working with bear mountain snow summit so i was able to get them on as a client and then um the owner of arbor had been i'd been talking to him for probably a couple of years and we'd become really good friends and he really wanted Arbor was kind of known as an old man's brand at the time, honestly. Really? Yeah. It was very um, you know, beautiful snowboards and great products, but just zero youth market penetration. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So wow. he really wanted to take the brand into the youth market. He felt like it was important, especially at the time in two thousand eight for the survival of the brand. Mm -hmm. um, he wasn't just going to make it the way he had been doing things for years. So, so yeah, he ended up uh, bringing me on to take Arbor into the youth market, which I spent five years working with them as a client. And we were, I'd say, very successful. Completely turned the brand around and made it one of the hottest youth market brands in, in snowboarding at the time. How'd you do that? Yeah, like how does one, like, yeah. like five <laughs> years also big, seems... It's a big ask. <laughs> it also uh, seems like a short amount of time to do that. Like, I feel like five years is... Is that? I don't know. What is five years long? Is five years normal? Like, I, 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 think, I think five years is a relatively reasonable amount of time to pull off something significant. Okay. Um, like building a business. Like building a business, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I was petrified, to be honest. I, it was the hardest challenge I ever took on. I had, mm. I had no idea if it was going to work or not. Mm -hmm. But I like challenges. So I went for it. And I had, I mean, people were just like, what are you doing? You're like, there's no way. Like, really? Are you kidding me? Like, you're not like Arbor? Like, what? They were giving you shit about it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People thought I was an idiot. I mean, I got all kinds of shit for it. And it was hard, man. Like, 
Wow. People didn't like youth, young snowboarders, athletes, professionals, whatever in the industry, they didn't want to be associated with Arbor. Like it was like a pariah. Wow. I didn't know that. It's so crazy to know that. Oh yeah. It was not cool. Um, was it an adult, like it was more adult brand and very much so. And, and so that's yeah. why the, okay. Uh, like an old, like an old man's brand. Kind yeah. Of. Okay. Like it was not cool. There was nothing cool about it, especially in Southern California, which is ironic because they're based in Southern California. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what so, was, what was the market pen- penetration aspect for you to get? I want to know the strategy. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, the, the reason why I accepted the job is because they were developing products that I felt like could work. Um, they weren't just saying, okay, take these, this product that we've been producing for years and make it cool. Mm-hmm. They were willing to like, they were already in the process of developing some new products and new technologies that I thought could work in the youth market. Okay. So it was, that was the one kind of piece that I was like, all right, as long as I have, product and I have them willing to continue to work on developing the product, then we can do this. And from there, it was really about, you weren't, like, there's no way I was going to go out and buy it. wasn't mm-hmm. going to be able to go out and, like, put together some crazy team and pay for it and, you know, convince people through money. Right. That right. wasn't going to happen because they didn't, first of all, they didn't have the money. Mm. I'm picturing um, a montage. Like <laughs> Second of all, if you do that, it's not going to last. Mm-hmm. So I had to I had to build it authentically. I had to get I had to get it to a point where athletes wanted to come to the brand. Mm-hmm. So I had developed a good reputation for myself working with Bear Mountain and Snow Summit and we'd done a lot of really compelling creative um, marketing. So I had, I had a reputation for myself and I had a lot of connections with athletes and with media. And so I had all the pieces I need needed to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time there was a lot of athletes and stuff that were kind of looking for something. They were looking for something to connect with. Um, they were looking for opportunities and that's kind of what I did. I just kind of created opportunities and I I never convinced anybody to join. I never talked anybody into it. They had to come to me and want to be a part of it. So I just gradually started building a brand and through marketing and media and everything that mm-hmm. people gradually started to want. To become to be like, a part right, of it. This is going in the right direction. I can kind of see where this is going. And some of it was personal relationships and whatnot, that they believed in me and they trusted that I was going to be able to do something with this. And, and I feel like so it's the most kind of, great things, right? Is personal relationships and people kind of vouch their belief in you and that will kind of tether into the brand. Because yeah, if, if yeah. you're not full of shit, they'll look at you and go, I trust you and you trust this. I might as well trust this too. Yeah. Yeah, there's some of that, and this was uh, an interesting media time. This was right when social media was really starting. Facebook was brand new. Um, Most brands didn't – we had done a lot of really interesting stuff with media and filming and photography and 
websites and everything at, at Bear Mountain and Snow Summit. So I was able to take all that and to, to Arbor and we were mm-hmm. ahead of the game. Like we were using YouTube, we were using Facebook. We were, you know, immediately when I got in there, I was like, took all the print ads out. I was like, we're not doing any print ads. Took yeah. all the money we had for marketing and put it all into digital media, digital media, you know, uh, social media, all the kind of stuff that people were just kind of starting to to figure out how to market with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things like that, um, bringing athletes on. That's a big that deal. Were, <laughs> that weren't just like cool guy athletes, but like, that, like were talented. Good, that were good at media themselves. That yeah. knew how to get videos done. They knew how to get photos done. They knew how to create content that I needed to build the brand. Mm-hmm. And just kind of built all of that together into a package and just rebranded it. And went out with the intent of making that brand cool in Southern California, which is its backyard. Yeah. And really taking over the Southern California um, youth snowboard scene is where we started. And then we expanded from there. But um, I figured if we could... If we could make Arbor, of all things, cool in Southern California, then from there it would be easy. And that's kind of how it worked out. Hell yeah. yeah. It's interesting that Southern California is a really big market for snowboarding and just outdoor sports like that. I didn't realize that until after um, just kind of like it's talking very... with my brother. And like, I, I just I didn't realize that Southern California was so hot in that regard. Why is that compared to Northern California where you're, I feel like you're closer to bigger, better mountains and more athletes up um, here? I think in the, in the nineties and early two thousands, um, just action sports in general was very Southern California, mm. the surf scene, the skateboard scene, you know, like it, it had it all, all seasons. Just, it was all just headquartered there. And you had a lot, you had a lot of, you know, skateboard companies and surf companies that kind of came into it and, um, you know, while Bear Mountain and Snow Summit and kind of that Southern California resort scene, you're talking about, you know, small mountains and mm-hmm. not the most amazing terrain. But what they did is they were willing to innovate in mm-hmm. terrain park development and um, really catering to that kind of surf skate culture. And yeah. So because of that, because these resorts were they got it. They're like, all right, if, if we want to be successful these days, like mm-hmm. we have to cater to this, this culture and this customer. Totally. And I mean, you're talking about music, music scene. They had concerts with, you know, all the bands that everybody was into. Like it was, it was a huge scene for some yeah. years. Like it was all part of it. The mm. music, the skateboarding, the surfing, the snowboarding, crossover events between, mm-hmm. you know, surfing and snowboarding. And like, I mean, you name it, just Southern California was where it was all starting and where it was all happening. Well, have you guys seen so all the all the brands built their headquarters there? Yeah, it was just where it was all happening. All the magazines were in mm-hmm. Southern California. You know, it was just all at one at one point. Literally, it was all there. Like there wow. was a few East Coast brands like Burton and whatnot, but for the most part, it was just all in the like San Diego, Orange County area. Have you guys seen Lords of Dogtown? Yeah. Yeah. Have you? I don't think so. I think it elaborates a lot on what you're talking about. Absolutely, yeah. It takes surf culture to the streets, talks about skating, and then skating developing into snowboarding. Oh, wait. Is this a documentary? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think I have actually seen this. It's 
Yeah. Very, very interesting because I feel like it ties into why SoCal is such a big deal in the, the snowboarding community. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you think of SoCal, you think of LA, you don't think about Bear Mountain when you grow up where no. we grew up. That's why. Yeah. If you're from your neck of the woods, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, Bear Mountain. Like That's where you go. Yeah. I mean, it was just kind of where all of the innovation was happening, which isn't to say nothing was happening in Southern California or Utah or other areas because it definitely was. Mm-hmm. Those were big scenes, too. But for, for, for those reasons, the industry of it all was, was very much so planted in Southern California. Yeah. And still is. And still is. It's not nearly as dramatic as it used to be, but yeah, it still is. Uh, with the just, I feel like you grew up in guerrilla marketing and pounding the pavement, being very in-person, very active when it comes to the actual marketing of a product or a brand. What like do you think on the ground type of yeah. marketing? Uh, what do you think about just being, you know, still in marketing, but in the age of big data and AI? Um, Where do you see that going? Because that was a very open ended question. Very <laughs> question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting marketing. I struggle with marketing today. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to kind of evolve in my career at a time when marketing was very dynamic. Yeah. You, know, you had everything from TV to radio to print to social media coming online to kind of, you know, YouTube and video and you could still make movies and long form stuff was still good, still worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that I got to evolve during that time. Because yeah. Because I got to experience, I think, some of the best of what marketing ever ha- ever had was ever capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, today, it's just so hard to get people's attention. It's an attention economy. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. And social media marketing, to me, has just become kind of just frustrating. It's just... Yeah. It's like who can come up with the most ridiculous thing that gets someone's attention rather than like actually creating cool, conceptual, complete marketing programs. Mm -hmm. It's like you're literally just like, oh, that's really funny and it'll grab people's attention and we'll sell some stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really funny. Or that grabs this person's attention or this is so dumb or this is so crazy or whatever. It's lost its art, I think. Unfortunately, yeah. which isn't to say that there's not still, um, there's not still some really kind of respect to be given to those who are making it work mm-hmm. because there is, mm-hmm. um, but it's very hodgepodge and not, not very interesting, I would say. And I'm not trying to be like. What I older hear. out of date. No, no, it's just it's, it's a very relatable like uh, perspective. Yeah. I feel like I think a lot of people. I mean, I've only been in the marketing industry in a very specific, spe- well, specific niche industry of real estate, but my exposure to it has been extremely frustrating. It's a lot of work, and it's really hard to actually get anybody's attention with it. Mm-hmm. Right, you can put a ton of work into it. And then you start looking at the views and you're like, you know, you're not even getting people's attention for five or 10 seconds. No. And it's like. Drops off five seconds in. It's brutal. 
so it's like, how do you keep it so engaging the entire time? There is a formula to it. You have to freak out. <laughs> yeah, you have to be like, you have to come up with the craziest crap that people are right. gonna, like be willing to continue to watch. Yeah. Or you have to get their attention so quick that you can convert that into a purchase that quickly. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I would guess. say Mr. Beast is a great example of someone who has yeah. managed to like build this kind of dynamic system that's worked really well. Mm-hmm. It was not overnight either. It was yeah. over it a decade time. of like yeah. grinding and working hard. Um, I want to go back to you talking about sounding archaic in your approach to marketing because mm-hmm. it's not. You sound like an artist that sees people butchering art. And it's mm-hmm. it's very entertaining to observe that because I, I observe that feeling with certain art forms. And you can see people doing something that's quick and it has a quick response and you're just like, ah, that that's not going to stick around. That's not something that people will really resonate with. Marketing to me has always been like, okay, the minute you think you have it all dialed and mastered is the minute you need to rethink everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that to me has always kind of been marketing because you don't want to – Like, you can't just find something that works and then stick with that forever because it's not going to. Yeah, you have have to to adapt and change. You have to keep evolving it and keep reinventing everything. Like, that's what what good marketing has always been to me. Mm -hmm. But now we find ourselves in this position where it's like, you literally have to reinvent it every day. Right. Like, you have to be throwing crap at the wall every day and going, all right, that's getting attention, that's getting attention, that's not getting attention. Throw that out. In order to do that, you kind of have to have your own in-house, full in-house creative where you have people writing and filming and trying and posting and, you know what I mean? Like it, that's, that's what works today. Mm -hmm. Well, as a small business, how the hell are you going to do that? You can't, you can't, there's no way you're going to have enough money to pay for an agency to do that and pay the insane amount of money that it takes to try to implement that on mm-hmm. social media advertising. Right. It's expensive. It's a like full-time even, job. Yeah, even for a company that has resources, it's hard to pull off. Yeah. So I'm not saying you can't do it. Yeah. I'm saying it's not possible. But like you were saying, guerrilla marketing, boots on the ground, like that kind of strategy of the past is really hard to pull off these days. It really is. I feel like there's going to be a rebound towards that because it the social, has to be. yeah, the social like the media economy is of just, attention it's is going to swing back too intense. Well, and, and to be honest with you, social media advertising in many ways just doesn't work anymore. Whatever it is, what it is, right? We mm-hmm. all have to try to work within within what works, and um, I think I think something has to give though. Because mm-hmm. The modern forms of of advertising are are not working very well. All right, let's switch it up a little bit. We were we were talking about <laughs> managing busy schedules mm. and uh, just basically how you don't blow a gasket every single time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I blow some gaskets. <laughs> <laughs> you do it privately then. You do a good job. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, I think with respect to the coffee business in particular, um, you know, Nick Visconti, my business partner, the lawyer's my business partner as well, but Nick and I are more active together on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have such an incredible uh, relationship and partnership. Like, I, I don't 
you could go multiple lifetimes, I think, without ever having a business partnership that's as solid as ours. Mm. And I think that we are constantly talking back and forth every day and supporting each other and, and um, you know, going off, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when we need to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that has been a huge part of why we've been able to do what we've done in the last five years, because if we would have been at odds through this, it would have been a nightmare. A nightmare, yeah. But because we're so supportive of each other and we're so willing to listen to each other and so willing to, um, commiserate together and, you know, just all the things that you, I guess, hope for in a in a business relationship, it's just, I don't see how it could possibly be any better, honestly. Mm. Yeah, you have mutual respect for one another. Mutual respect and, you know, we can, you know, we can, ha- Nick can have a bad day and, you know, I'm usually not having a bad day and I can kind of prop him up and help him through it and I can have a bad day and he's usually not having a bad day and he can help prop me up and, and we really help each other get through just about everything we have to get through. Mm-hmm. And we don't, I mean, we five years, I don't, we've never been in a fight. That's great. <laughs> I mean, Seven really, years, like, we've been in quite a few fights. You know, and usually like if one not of us, really you know, if one of us says something shitty or, or something to the other, usually it's, it's not really directed at the other. And, yeah. and we're always quick to apologize. Like, hey, I didn't mean that. That was not at you. That's what's going on behind you. And we don't think take things personally, and and really, I think that's been a huge reason why we've we've been able to work so well together. Work so well together, and and kind of manage all the different things that we have to manage, and create a and successful business. Yeah, we both have great work ethics, and we're willing to just mm-hmm. kind of do whatever it takes to make mm-hmm. it happen. You know, a lot of late nights. A lot of early mornings. A lot of, yeah. <laughs> a lot of that. Uh, Kenzie, you had a question that I stepped on earlier. No, it's okay. I'll ask those questions later because I, I am curious and I don't even know if I know the story. But how did you two come together with the coffee business? Yeah, you know, it ironically happened on a chairlift. Probably the moment, anyway. I mean, Nick, Nick and I were really good friends from... Um, from our work together at Arbor mm-hmm. and we maintained our friendship beyond that. So we were always in communication and everything. His time that he spent in, in Portland and Seattle kind of going after this new coffee um, path that he had for himself. We were mm-hmm. always in touch and I was always, you know, we were always kind of discussing everything that was going on. And I think that, uh, We had a relationship in that we knew that someday we would work together again. After That's all. awesome. We just we just kind of knew it. Mm-hmm. And my feelings about Nick was that he's just one of these kind of people that is so driven that no matter what he does, he's going to be successful with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's just driven and committed and willing to do what it takes. He's going to get it done. Yeah. yeah. And so I always admired that about Nick and I feel like I have some of those same attributes that 
that he's admired about me. And so I think that it was sort of destined that at some point we were going to work together again. Mm. So to specifically answer the question, when Nick decided to move back to Truckee, he originally wanted to open a coffee shop in Truckee. And that was kind of his, his mission. And he just really struggled for quite a while to find a location. Mm-hmm. People just weren't willing to give him a chance. He'd never been a business owner before. Truckee's just difficult in yeah. general for things like that. But so we talked and um, I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, but at some point we were having a conversation and it was like, screw the coffee shops, you know, just start with wholesale. Yeah. You know? Um, and ultimately that's what he decided to do was to get a warehouse and start a whole, start wholesale first and then, and then get, in. get to the retail side later. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we were on a chairlift and talking about it. And I was kind of in a, I had agreed, I think I had agreed to come on as an investor of some type originally. And then I was kind of at a point in my life where I was looking for something new. I was still very invested in marketing farmer and Mm -hmm. my clients, but at the same time I was kind of, I'd always wanted to build a brand. I never built my own brand. Yeah. Other people's brands. Right. Um, so anyway, he asked me if I wanted to come on as an active partner. And I was just like, yeah, let's do it. Let's see what we can do with this. Let's go build a brand together. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah you guys right. seem to work really well together and have a strong relationship. And I think that in most businesses, you need that. I feel like in a lot of... I don't know. My experience is corporate America and I see CEOs, CMOs, CFOs like change out all the time, like almost on a yearly basis. (laughs) I feel like I'm I'm like, who's in leadership anymore? But you guys have been able to the three of you have been able to really stay strong and um, build a really successful business. So it's something that I really admire because I think about, like, if I wanted to build my own business, like, how would I do it? And the way that you guys have done it, it's definitely an inspiration to follow. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've all just done what we're good at, you know, and we've, um, you know, we joke a lot of times that Drink Coffee Do Stuff is a, a marketing company masquerading as a coffee company. And I think that's, that's Mm. one of the reasons why it's, it's worked is because we're not just out there trying to sell the best coffee. Right. Because everybody makes great coffee. Not everybody, but a lot of companies. There's a lot of people that make shitty make, coffee. Yeah, there's a lot of people that make <laughs> shitty coffee, but there's a lot of brands out there making great coffee. Mm-hmm. And if everybody's just out there selling based on the fact that they make the best coffee, well, we all get the coffee from the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all work with the same importers. We all It all comes from the same countries, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we work with some different farmers and whatnot and have different, whatever. There's some subtleties to it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's it's about marketing. You know, mm-hmm. it's about building a brand that people identify with. And mm-hmm. we decided to go after the outdoor active lifestyle market and to focus on, you know, creating a connection with people that like to go out and be active. Totally. And... So they identify with the brand, 
you know, we're in Tahoe where people recreate, people travel to Tahoe to recreate. Mm-hmm. And we were able to build a great brand and then people go and and have a cup of our coffee and it's great coffee too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what kind of seals the deal. It's like, it's not just a brand and then shitty coffee. It's, right. It's a great brand that people connect with and then and the coffee's good too. Yeah. You can enjoy it. Yeah. It's not... I don't think we've done anything like brilliant. We've just done it a little bit different than everybody else. And you've done it well. And we've <laughs> worked our asses off. Say so it's been true yes. to you guys. It's worked, yeah. And, it, and it's authentic. It's authentic mm-hmm. to us. It's authentic to our employees. It's authentic to our customers. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, we're not faking it. Mm-hmm. And we're not just trying to make money right we're trying to build something that brings people together and what they do and what they love Mm -hmm. um i'm gonna transition a little bit because i can't help think of what a savvy businessman you are but you're also like the way you said that (laughs) That makes me uncomfortable such a savvy such a sassy businessman sassy savvy (laughs) um but you're also a bachelor so for all our our single ladies out there we got a few questions from some single ladies oh okay okay so my great grandmother (laughs) (laughs) she happens to be recently on the market (laughs) um instead of maybe asking like why you're single i think what everyone wants to know is, what's your love language? How can someone really grab Mr. Farmer? Uh, uh. Get his attention, since we are living in a world that's hard to grab our attention. I see, I see. Right <laughs> wow. It really brings us all full circle. <laughs> Do you well, know the, the five love languages? Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure. The five, five lo- love languages. Do you know all the zodiac signs? So the, the question is, what's your love language? Right. So the, I can read them to you. We came up with four before this. So So one is quality time. So being able to like spend quality time with someone, a good hang, uh, words of affirmation. Okay. Gifts. So gift giving, gift receiving, acts of service, and physical. (laughs) All right. Or, you know, I like getting, <laughs> getting your oil changed. I don't know. Something like that. Um, Either one. <laughs> or acts. Or no. Sorry. Not the acts of service. Like, whew, that got me messed up. Um, or physical touch. Uh, okay. Those are the five. So thinking about yourself, the way that you like to receive love, give love. Do you have. And they're not always the same. The way you receive might not be the way you give. I see. I see. Um. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I guess in some respects it's all of the above, mm-hmm. right? Okay. You okay. Know, I think that I would kind of fit into every single one. Various aspects of that. Okay. For sure. Um I think that I think I like to give. I like yeah, I like to you like to give acts of service. You like to give gifts, physical touch. What do you like to I give specifically? Kind of all of it. I like, I like to make people happy. 
and <laughs> um, really putting you on the spot with this one. <laughs> um, behind door number one, come on out. <laughs> it's a weird question because we had this conversation, and that was my go-to. It was like Kenzie, I feel like you're all of them, and I think it depends on the mood that I'm in. Like All what I, what I need yeah. at that moment. Right. But I think overall for me, if we haven't spent time together, mm-hmm. like I'm, I do think something's wrong Yeah, no, when we haven't spent time. So I would say quality time for me is what I like to receive. I feel like I'm a big, um, gift giver with you. Mm-hmm. So that's like how I would like to give my love. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why it's just. When I like see something, I'm like, oh, that reminds me of Mike, or he would like this. Like, that's why I like to do that. But yeah, I, I guess it depends on like the mood that I'm in. But for you, like, n- just when you're in relationships, have you noticed that there's a specific, like, one of these that's very specific to you when you give or receive? Um, I think I, I like. I like to make people feel good, whether that's with a gift or whether that's with my attention or whether that's with supporting um, them in something that they're trying to achieve or something that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to make them feel good, whether that's sexual or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if it's the right person I think I'm very I think I'm very giving mm-hmm. I don't think I'm just like a, a taker mm-hmm. well I'd like I'm happy to receive the same everybody loves gifts but I'm not um yeah it's I, I think one of the hard things for me with with relationships through my life is I've I've been challenged with finding that like equal relationship Mm. where it's like you're you're into them as much as they're into you Mm. reciprocation is a big one that kind of balance yeah Mm. which for me has been like i'm not willing to settle yeah or something less than that i think that's really important i think that for the right relationship, I can be very committed and I can be very devoted and mm-hmm. and give a lot. But I see so many people get into relationships that are not that, mm-hmm. where one person or the other is way more into it, and you can tell. Mm-hmm. And that leads to whatever breakups, divorce, chaos, <laughs> just not, chaos, just not happiness. Yeah. So many people fall into that trap of like, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. This is how life is supposed to be. You know, you get pressure from family. You get pressure from friends, from religion, from whatever it is that, you know, you're not keeping up with what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to um, live, I guess. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. So I think that. That It's close to home. Yeah, I mean, I see, I see a lot of people that that find the right relationships and they're very successful mm-hmm. in those. And then I see a lot of people that are just 
quite frankly, miserable. Mm-hmm. And some of those people take that on to the next step of having, getting married and having kids and, you know what I mean? Like, it's like digging. And then that's not good for the kids and like yeah. the right. whole sort of, whole it, sort of scenario. It strikes me when you see those types of relationships as one person was a bad negotiator at the very beginning. <laughs> like if you were to get into a business relationship, you have to negotiate certain things and make sure that you guys are both on the same page, agreeing to the same terms. And it seems like somebody along the lines did not read the terms and just went, yeah, I'm along for the ride. And then after, you know, a couple of years they go, man, this really fucking sucks, but it, I'm in too deep. And they let too much slide. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where I see people being miserable or uncomfortable in a relationship is that they didn't negotiate the terms of their, their business contract, if you were to call it that, in a equitable way. And so they're always on the short end of the stick, and that's where that misery comes from because they're never never really receiving the type of love that they need or they're giving too much. It's just out of balance. Oh. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, relationships are so... There's so much to it, right? They're so mm-hmm. dynamic, and, and there's so much commitment, and there's so much um, investment. And to... Uh, to be willing to like give all that god damn it has to be right right mm-hmm. like it can't just be almost right yeah well, that's no it has to yeah you can't half ass it no I don't think so you know and that's it's been I mean I, I like I don't know how personally I want to get here but I have multiple issues with myself, you know, my extreme independence and things like that, that, that have gotten in the way of relationships or my commitment to my career mm-hmm. and how I've identified through my career and been really found happiness through my career, mm-hmm. which I don't regret. Ironically, that makes you more attractive to a mate. It can. Yeah. I think or it does more really often than not. Up relationships too. So I, I feel like that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the initial bait that reels people in. They're like, God damn, this man is committed. He is dedicated. Yeah driven and i feel like that's not is... coming home was <laughs> <laughs> this little house on I'm the prairie kidding. yeah no i mean it's 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 a double-edged sword right mm-hmm. like i think that you want that and i think people do seek that out people mm-hmm. are attracted to that but then the reality of that can oftentimes be very very difficult well they hope that it extends to them and it doesn't always, especially if it's not reciprocated. Because if you give so much effort and intensity towards your business, your life, your health, all the things that you really invest your time and focus into, and then you add one other extra thing that takes from all of those buckets, right? Yeah. Like a relationship is not something that you can just kind of tend to on the side and, oh, I'll see you once a month. That will fizzle out. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of your time. And... What initially, I think, attracts people to that, they hope that it translates to them, and that's a selfish want, you know? Like, they're attracted because of how driven you are, but they don't realize that that drive is because you're dedicated to this, and to ask you to pull away from it is going to hinder you financially, it's going to hinder your success level, and it's this weird, it's a weird line to tote, it's that double-edged sword that you're talking about. Because I feel like if you give too much, you're going to, you know, falter in the other, and you can't afford to falter in that instance when it comes to your business. 
And then when a, with a serious relationship, you really can't afford to falter that either. No, and quite frankly, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets in my life, but I will say that you you can easily um, miss out on relationship opportunities when you're too focused on your career because you might, you know, you might have a connection that's really strong and then you sort of let that get away because you're focused on your career. On the career. Mm-hmm. So then with that, because I actually have a couple friends that I can think of now that are in that phase. Um, they're our age of 27, 28, and they're really focused on their career. Um, I just wonder if you have any advice for people that are like 27, 28 that are getting like really focused on their career, but want a relationship right now. Like, uh, do they have to choose or like how, like, how do they go about that? I feel like Elon Musk right now. Like, um, no, I, I don't think that you need to choose, but I think that it's tough. I think if you, if you find the right, I don't know how many, I don't know how many connections that you get in life that are right. Mm -hmm. Probably not very many. Probably less than 5%. You get a lot of connections in your life, probably, depending on the person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know how many you get that are right. So I think if you find the right one, Mm -hmm. and what I mean by right is truly a balanced relationship where both people are into each other the same or very similar. Yeah. Um, I think that if you find that, then I think that there's value in in trying to make that work as you're developing your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You may, if you pass on that to to focus on the career, then you may regret it someday. Mm-hmm. Or you may not, because you may find another right one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, you, you don't know. You can't predict that. Yeah, it's it's... It's tough. It really is. It's not a easy. It's not an easy thing to do. And quite frankly, when we're young and we're ambitious and we're hungry for that career, um, it's easy to say, "Oh, I got plenty of time. Mm. I'll figure it out." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I think that if you find the right one, it's probably gonna be. It's all gonna work out, right? Yeah, it's the right one. Okay. Um. This is my last question for you, Brad. All right. What's your favorite conspiracy? My favorite conspiracy? Okay, do you mean like in level of like that I might believe in or in level of like just how outlandish it is it fucking makes me? Take that question as you will. Which one comes to mind? Because there was something at that point you're deciding, right? Okay. So there's probably something that bubbled up that you're like, "Mm, probably this. I think the one that I'm the most fascinated with is the Mandela. Mandela effect? Yeah. Okay. And I think, like... Yeah. Do you want... 
expansion on that, or you just want yes, to please. I mean, I, I want expansion. Yeah. <laughs> so, <sighs> I'm blown away by it. I really am because there's so many that are just like. Are you kidding me? Like, that's not true. Was there one that tripped you up in particular that comes the to mind? The most recent one is I fucking... Vi- Sorry. I, I said fucking. You can totally... You can, you you can, can swear. Fuck, 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 I vividly remember there being a Shazam movie with Sinbad. As do I. And there wasn't. I think we're getting fucked with on that one because it, I know what you're talking about. That's in his IMDb credits. Like, I got to pull this up right now. Yeah. Because so that's it's the most recent one, but there's so many where mm-hmm. I'm just like, I mean, the mirror, mirror on the wall that was apparently magic mirror on the wall. Um, Wait, I don't know that one. Magic you, mirror on the wall. So we all remember, at least most people remember. Mirror, mirror on the wall from Snow White. Right. Well, it, apparently that wasn't what was said. It's magic mirror on the wall. No. <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> so, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Magic yeah, no, mirror. Magic mirror on the wall. That's how it actually is. So on IMDb, they found there's, Shazam's there's genie, genie movie. Me, it's the serial. Um, it's casted in it. It's on IMDb. Shazam with two A's. Shazam is the genie. All right. Well, I saw an interview with him where he was swearing that he, did, he didn't do it. He's even credited as a writer on here. Okay. Well, regardless of that particular one, I mean, there's just... <laughs> there's so many of there's them. There's so many that, that it just seems... And I, I get it. Like, human, human, our memories are flawed. Mm-hmm. And we do have group group sort of memories and... And there's the power of suggestion where people are like, oh, yeah, I, that's that's the way I remember it. That's the way we remember it, mm-hmm. whatever it is. But um, that's the one that I just keep kind of getting pulled back into because I'm just like, yeah, man, I just I just remember things differently. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and you know it to be true, which is the issue. You feel it in your bones yeah. that it's that way. Yeah. You're you know like, what you're, I mean? You're like, this like is. Jiffy p- peanut butter, but it's actually Jeff peanut butter. Yeah, I mean, there's a <laughs> Curious George with a no tail. Yeah. Um, That's right. The Wait. the Monopoly one's a good one, too. With, with where the, he pinnacle? Have the pinnacle? Or the monocle. The monocle. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have one, Kenzie? And the and the original one, the Mandela one. Like, yeah. who doesn't remember that Mandela like, died in jail? Me. You don't, you don't remember that that's the way it went down? Because I think I just didn't. I community. was not. Oh, really? Okay. It's that's the only reason is that he was in jail, got elected president, came out of jail. South Africa wins the World Cup, and he goes out and gets to hoist the World Cup with them. That's why I remember it that way. But if South Africa didn't win that year, I would probably think that he died mm. in jail. Mm. I did know he was president, so I guess it doesn't make sense that he was in jail after that. He got elected, I think, while in jail. Now we need to. Find out more about this. Okay. <laughs> now oh, I feel like. Fuck. Uh-oh. Now I feel like we need facts. <laughs> Where's our Jamie? <laughs> You're our Jamie, Kenzie. I know. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's just a there's a there's just a number of them. I can't even remember them all right now because I'm 
in the moment, but that's the one that I keep getting pulled back into. But like, you know, are we on the same so timeline? Splintering off, you know what I mean? Like, I think we are. Yeah, I feel like that's what a hiccup in the timeline is. Is just, yeah, you know, he he died in jail. That sucks. R.I.P. Nelson. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he's president of South Africa, and you go, oh, when did that happen? Who's the new guy? Yeah. Do you have a favorite conspiracy or conspiracy theory? Um, Not off the top of my head, but the Mandela effect one, there was, when I first learned about it, I think it was a documentary that we were watching, but they had brought up that there was a cereal box with, I think it was like the Raisin brand cereal with the sun. And whether or not it was wearing glasses. Sunglasses Sunglasses or not. And I remember it wearing sunglasses, and apparently it never had sunglasses. Where I'm like, but why would I, like, why would I think that? Like, if someone were to tell me what that cereal box looked like, I would have described it just as that. Like, where the heck did those sunglasses come from in my head? Makes sense. It's the sun. It gets bright around him. You should wear some sunglasses. So, yeah, I just, I do think that that's really interesting. I think the main conspiracy theory for me right now is Jeffrey Epstein. Hmm. What, what part of it? Cause some people think he's still alive. Yeah. I think it's that part of like, is he alive? Was this a, was he part of the CIA this entire time? Like, I just, I, I feel like there is more to the story and I feel like I can believe that he is still alive. <laughs> hmm. Cause did they ever show his body? Like, did they? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, that one's wild, I got to say. Like, I, there, there's clearly a lot of cover-up and yeah. craziness going on with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the way he supposedly died, if he did die, is, yeah. Questionable. I just feel like, best. why would you kill that man? Like, wouldn't you want more? Like, he has all the information that you could ever want. Why not keep him alive? Well, he got killed, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, but I feel like why not? You're filling in the blanks. For yeah, you, you that is summed it all up right there. <laughs> why would you get rid of the person that can connect? That you has to all the information. I don't know. I think in my head, I'm like, he has so much information. Yes, it'd be easier to kill him. So yeah, if he is dead. That also makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think for me, I'm like, I would just keep him alive and like just tortured just in a dark room <laughs> where he can't have access to anybody else. Mm. Like no one would know. They're never going to know. Never yeah. We'll never know. know. But um, yeah. What's your conspiracy theory? Operation midnight climax. Operation midnight climax. Are you familiar with it? I am. Are you familiar with it, Kenzie? No. So I don't know the exact timeline because a lot of it is black papered, but the CIA decided to test LSD on unwitting subjects oh, using brothels. Yes. And they would dose these this guys. This in the book Chaos. Yes, it was. Yeah. With Tom O'Neill. Yes, very um, good book. Fucking hilarious, though, that they would, unfortunately, these guys thought they were getting a little bit of pussy, and they drank <laughs> some of this prostitute water, and the next thing you know, the entire room's melting. And they're just washing them through a two-way mirror. I find that hilarious to me because it's true mm-hmm. and our tax dollars funded it. Right. And I want to know, I want to talk to one of those guys and just be like, what was your experience like as a John getting dosed against your will 
And then it was there any kind of repercussion after that? Was there any legal recourse? Was there anything that they were punished for because they're soliciting prostitution? But it's government-funded prostitution. <laughs> like, such a gray area. But Yeah, that's a wild one. I mean, just the whole <laughs> experimenting with LSD and and just the 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 concept that psychedelics have been illegal for so long and how ridiculous that is and the fact that this type of research was going on this was the 70s, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the fact that this type of research was going on mm-hmm. clearly the powers that be understood that there was some significance to these well there was and it's just i don't know man i feel like it's so unfortunate for our entire society that that psychedelics have been illegal and have not been yeah in research and in trying to figure out like we're getting there now but like how many decades have been lost of Good Potentially these these drugs being useful for treating people for just all kinds of different issues. Mm-hmm. And instead we've just been pumping people full of ridiculous Pills. side effect ridden drugs. Yeah. A lot legal, of psych legal drugs. Legal prescription drugs. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Lucky, stop. Uh, stop. <laughs> Go. There Had was, enough. I forget the guy. He just recently died. Um, he was working with Nixon on basically criminalizing hippies and blacks with drugs, one on with crack and the other with LSD against hippies. And then when Reagan took over, fast forward a few years, um, they cracked down on everybody across the board when it came to like mandatory sentencing. Um, but Reagan's chief, I forget what the guy's position was and it's unfortunate somebody's going to roast me in the comments for it (laughs) but this guy just recently died and he had been very outspoken towards the end of his life saying we knew what we were doing was not really effective and we knew that we were putting out a lot of bullshit um i think it might have been reagan's guy i don't know where nixon's coming into this other than criminalizing hippies but well they were both um they were both a, a huge part of the demonization and uh, creation of the, all of these penalties for yeah. use of these, quite frankly, drugs that I think should just be a personal choice. You know, what they were really doing is they were going after political parties and political identities yeah. um, through these drugs that should be your personal choice of mm-hmm. um that's how they were getting at these political opponents and mm-hmm. it set i would say our country back the world back really because the world followed the united states on drugs mm-hmm. the whole world it really did. and and it set our world back it set humanity back decades because yeah. of this criminalization of something that's just idiot it's just it's just it's just idiocracy. It's just mm-hmm. dumb. And the person that I'm referencing, he basically went to his deathbed saying, we knew it was bullshit. It was 100% politically motivated. Yeah. And we basically suppressed information on purpose because we had an agenda to push. Yeah. And that guy got to carry that through his entire life, knowing that that might have set our society back, what, 50 years minimum? That's kind of crazy to me. 
60 years at this point because we're talking all the way back to Nam. 60 uh, years. It's insane. Well, Kensington, final question. Um, our last guest, I don't know if you knew him. His name's Jordan Brandt. Mm-hmm. But we asked him to provide a question for our next guest. He obviously didn't know it was going to be you. Right. But um, he wanted to ask whoever guest number two was going to be, uh, what is your favorite band and why is it not Pod? P-O-D. Do you know who P-O-D is? P-O-D? P-O-D, like the metal band? P-O-D? I think so. Probably. George I, I had to... Um, had to clarify with him he's like it's only the best band in the entire existence of mankind very specific (laughs) i mean i know who pod is and i would not describe them that way but they're not bad they're good band well his question really is what is your favorite band not (laughs) (laughs) not pod um wow um that's a that's a really a hard one for me because in my past life I was supposed to be a rock star. <laughs> supposed like to be. One. I was supposed to be a rock star. I I play the drums. I love music. I've I really honestly thought for most of my childhood that I was going to be be my life was going to be in music, not, not Maybe that's that. your next life. Maybe this is prepping you. Maybe that's my next life. So I I love music. I love a lot of different genres of music. I'm I'm definitely have had a life invested in rock and metal and punk and kind of those realms, but I also love jazz and I love hip hop and I love even electronic music sometimes. I mean like I I really am just kind of a lover of music so to pick one band amongst so many amazing musicians out there is is tough and i don't know if the band is what makes it Mm. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. you have a specific song or top three albums um i probably have more like just musicians that i appreciate than who's in your top three um, probably drummers, mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly. Um, one of my favorite all-time drummers is Stuart Copeland from The Police. He's, he's just an amazing drummer. Mm. Just I think we're going to have to jam to some police after this just so I can hear yeah, it. You can close it out with The Police. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's great. I mean, Bonham from Zeppelin. Um, Mickey D, who was in several bands. I don't know, I just, I, I, I like good musicians and I think a lot of good musicians rotate through bands like mm-hmm. playing different projects and stuff so to name one one specific band is is tough for me mm. but uh, just in general I love music and I you know if I can go out and listen to live music I almost don't even care what the genre is like I'm having a good time probably as really? long as it's good yeah. as long as it's good music yeah, yeah. <laughs> say put me up in front of a mic and have me sing yeah. I might leave yeah but Hopefully we'll find live music tonight. I'm sure that there's something going on tonight. I know a guy. Let me call a yeah. guy. <laughs> know a guy. Let me call hey, him. come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a part, like a two-part question. So what is your question that you're going to give to guest number three? Ah, ah okay. Um, what is my question for guest number three? Mm-hmm. 
I think one of the most interesting things about my life has been how unpredictable it's been. Mm. I think that life is hard to predict. Hopefully. Right? Mm Because I think if you're having a dynamic, interesting life, then it's hard to predict. So I think one of the most challenging questions is to ask someone where they see themselves in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's hard, right? It's hard to really say like, okay, where are you going to be 10 years from now? So I think my question would be not where do you see yourself in 10 years, but what is your life sort of picture in 10 years? Like the scope. Like the whole thing. That's a great, you know, that, I love that question. Because we're going to need to work, well, record this. work, relationship. It is recording. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. where where do you see your whole world in 10 years? I'm writing it down. But I like that with my, that's also with my business pen. I'm finally using it. It's <laughs> also something you can look back on and go, I wonder if I was right or not. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so. Well, if I had to ask 17-year-old Mike what 27-year-old Mike would be doing, I'd be pretty upset with myself. (laughs) 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 Went completely different directions than anticipated, but that's part of the beauty. That's life, right? You know? That's the beauty of it. I think that's what makes it engaging and exciting, because if you could see what else is coming down the tube, you might get pretty bored pretty quick. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't see myself living, like, at this age. I like couldn't see past a certain age, which was 18. So my younger self, like I didn't imagine being like a vet or a doctor or anything like that. Like I couldn't see it. I was like so focused on what I was doing then that I couldn't even imagine it. Yeah. Which I don't know what that says about me <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> Let's not psychoanalyze. Yeah. We don't have another three hours. But anyway, well, um, thank you, Brad, for for joining us, for wanting to hang out with us and for sharing your life with us. So yeah, thank you guys for having me. That was fun. And you want to do it again? I knew it would be good. I'll do it again. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, thank you. And Seriously. We'll have to dress up again. <laughs> yes. We don't yes. have to dress up again, but I would prefer to uh, shout out junkie. I like the dress up, although I am hot. I'm, I know. I'm yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Good stuff. Thank Later. you. <laughs>